evening East Coast conversation with uh, Frank Scott, who's on the warm West Coast. I'm a little jealous, Frank. I'm freezing, <laughs> freezing my stones off here, man. <laughs> Beautiful so, here. Yeah. So we're going to talk about two things. This video is going to be about service industry disruption, I guess you could say, if we can use that awful D word. Yeah. Uh, punching above your weight as a services firm. And then we're going to talk about independent consulting in the next shoot. Uh, but I want to get back to your businesses because you've been doing this for a while through the context of Strativa, but also computer economics. And some of us get confused about all your ventures. Maybe you could explain your angle on all this stuff. That's that's right. Sometimes when I pick up the phone and I answer, I have to remember uh, you know who's calling about what, so I know which uh, which business card to use. But uh, but that's right. I have two ventures. Um, one is Strativa, which is a management consulting firm. And the other is computer economics, which is an IT research firm. So, so basically, you know, as you mentioned, I've been doing this for many years, um, back into the uh, the 90s and, and uh, around that time I started, um, you know, really focusing on providing um, you know, management consulting in the form of IT um, advisory work and, and, and business strategy. And in, uh, in the year 2000, my partner and I founded this management consulting firm, Strativa, um, which was really set up on an independent basis, and we'll talk a little bit about more of that uh, more about that later. But um, you know, to provide both business consulting and IT strategic advice to um, to end user organizations. So that's kind of the the history of of the Strativa name and, and that business. And then in 2005, um, we had an opportunity to purchase a 30-year-old IT research firm called Computer Economics. And that really provided us with something that we had already realized we needed. And that was some sort of product or intellectual property um, offered on a subscription basis to really complement the project work that we were doing as management consultants. So, um, you know, we purchased the firm, and that now gives us, you know, kind of a balance. You know, on the one hand, we have the project work, which is very, uh, you know, episodic. Uh, there are peaks and valleys, very variable in demand, uh, you know, billing by the hour for fixed price by the project basis and so on. And then this work at computer economics, which is mostly a subscription business, um, by large and mid-sized IT organizations and most of the large uh, IT consulting and accounting firms uh, subscribe to our research uh, there. Uh, and that really provides a nice complement to, uh, to the consulting business. I, I've noticed a phenomenon in recent years, which is one of the things I want to talk about with you. It seems to me that in the enterprise space, we're seeing more and more sort of boutique services firms that I call it punching above your weight, but essentially uh, obtain more, I guess you could say, kind of recognition and thought leadership by sharing intellectual property, and also essentially through specialization, end up having an edge on larger firms in ways that might really surprise you. Have you, have you seen that dynamic in your business? Well, well, I have, you know, seen that, and and I think that really goes to the heart of what we do at Strativa. I mean, this is really not a big, you know, this is not a body shop. We're not providing large numbers of, uh, you know, billable consultants to go in and do um, low-level IT work. This is really more of a rifle shot when an organization has a need either on business strategy or on IT strategy. Um, you know, they reach out to firms like ours, and there's others uh, uh, like ours that that do that. 
um, to really provide that, you know, more advisory services um, that's really at a very senior level. So, um, you know, of course, the large firms do this. We all know who they are, and uh, some of our consultants have come from that background. So, you know, we offer the same types of services, but on a much more, you know, personalized, um, you know, kind of narrowly focused basis, um, which I think, you know, resonates with a lot of buyers today. And not to uh, bash your competitors in these larger firms, but have you won one business against those firms? And did that surprise you a little bit? Were you like, wow, I can't believe we beat out this household name for this business? Well, well, we do sometimes. I wouldn't say that we go up against them every day because, I mean, mm. clearly at a certain level, um, and, I, and, and in my experience, it's really above about the $2 billion level. Uh, those firms are really looking for more of a global consulting firm or accounting firm to help them uh, with advisory. Okay. But, you know, in the billion to $2 billion firm, sometimes we do end up going up against the, you know, the big names. And I'm thinking back to one experience we had a few years ago, a uh, $2 billion metals distribu distribution uh, firm. Uh, you know, it was like all the big guys, you know, could just name them all. They seem like they're all in yeah. there. And then Strativa, you know, just, right. <laughs> you know, we were there. And, um, to our pleasant surprise, uh, you know, we won the business and uh, we had a very good relationship there. We were in there for about a year. Um, the CEO is still a good friend of, of mine and, uh, you know, he still uh, refers business to us. Um, and, you know, and I asked them, you know, why did you choose us over these larger right. firms? And it really had to do with, uh, you know, I think our story just resonated with, uh, with the uh, selection committee. Uh, we were able to kind of accommodate some of their kind of unique concerns. Um, we didn't come in with a, a template and with an army of, you know, newly minted MBAs to, uh, you know, kind of move in for uh, six months. Uh, it was a much more focused team. We had about, as I recall, about four people in there. Um, and it just resonated with them. So, um, you know, we, we don't go up against them all the time. But when we do, I think we have a, a good chance of, of winning the business uh, if the a client is is willing to work with uh, with a smaller firm. Now, having said that, you know, with some larger firms, uh, some executives they just want you know one of the big four right. you know names on the letterhead when they make the recommendation. If they want that, you know, we we usually don't end up even in that business if that's what they're looking for. Right. This was something I was thinking about because uh, Phil First of HFS recently wrote a post about services firm disruption more from the BPO outsourcing angle but right. he 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 talked about this whole notion of of incumbency is not a right and yeah. you know be, being an incumbent and having the relationship edge doesn't mean everything in it more but as you point out in some situations it still matters but i think in others just because you've had the business in the past um, doesn't really cut it for the future necessarily that's right you have to earn it over and over again i mean there's clients mm -hmm. that we worked with for uh, many years, one local uh, public uh, uh, it was the local transportation authority here. We did a whole series of projects for them uh, over a period of probably five or seven years, and then at some point, um, you know, we just didn't continue that work. They found other uh, providers. Everything was an open bid, and uh, you know, time to just move on. So uh, we have to constantly be uh, looking for new opportunities and new relationships. So we we do pretty well with that. Right. Now, you're also a very, very active blogger. Uh, sometimes you blog on uh, some of the research you've done, but you also just comment on trends you see in the, in the space. You blog a lot about the myths and realities of cloud ERP, for example. Have you found that 
that the blogging work also impacts your core business? Now, I'm glad you asked that because that is, I think, a key point here is that, um, as you may recall, I was actually one of the first tech bloggers started in 2002, and there was only a handful of us. So, like, you know, somebody, I forget who it was, TechWeb or somebody put out a, you know, top 10 technology bloggers, and there was Gizmodo, there was Engadget, and then two or three others, and then there was me, you know. So there were, like, I don't know if there were more than 10 bloggers at the time, but, but it has been actually uh, a very good way to, I think, establish our credibility. And people a lot of times ask me, you know, have you gotten a lot of business through your blog? And, and you know, occasionally I get um, leads that come in, you know, because they know me as a blogger. People find me on the web and so on. But I would say more of the impact has been when we get into a deal and I point them to the Enterprise System Spectator, which is my blog. Um, I think it does a good job of kind of establishing my credibility. Um, the other thing that it did in the early years is that many of the enterprise uh, technology vendors kind of, you know, learned who I was, you know, through the blog because I was covering vendors that a lot of analysts weren't covering at the time, the larger analyst firms. So, you know, they're getting attention, they're getting ink, they're getting, um, you know, whatever discussion around their brand and, and so on. And that got me, uh, you know, my name out there and Strativa's name um, and led to a lot of, uh, opportunities I would say to uh, you know to engage directly with the vendors after after some years of doing that so I would say uh, you know if you get into blogging as a way of what's well, going to generate all this business I, I think that's the wrong approach I think you have to have it work in in, in tandem with everything you're else you're doing to reach the market and it's more of a, a establishing your credibility you know for some type of thought leadership or something that that says you have original ideas and you have an, a, a viewpoint on the industry. Uh, so I would say, right. and then the other thing I would say uh, that that the blogging did was it did directly uh, lead to our acquisition of computer economics. So um, if I could take just a minute and kind of share that, yeah. um, computer economics was based in Southern California, and I happened to know the VP of research there. And after he was reading the Enterprise System Spectre, he said, you know, we'd really like to kind of republish some of your blog posts as, as free research on our site. It helps kind of fill out our content. And I said, that's great. I said, the only thing I'd like is I would like access to your research because I need that in doing the IT strategy work. Computer Economics publishes benchmarks and metrics that have to do with IT organizational spending and staffing and things that you use when you do IT strategy. So I said, fine, we'll do an exchange. I'll publish... You can republish my uh, blog posts, and you'll give me access to your research. So that went on for a couple years, and the uh, the owner of the firm eventually felt he wanted to uh, to retire or to move into semi-retirement, and uh, he offered to sell us the firm, and so we, my partner and I, purchased it. So, so the blogging, you know, eventually led us to the acquisition of a of a real, you know, research firm. So, so I have that to point to. Yeah, sure. Before we move on to the topic of independence, I wanted to ask you about computer economics because some firms that I'm familiar with in more the sort of boutique strategy space, they they don't actually do that kind of comprehensive computer economics type research. They tend to they might write a position paper from time to time, but a lot right. of times a lot of times let's face it, it's really more of a dressed up one person operation uh, right. with with a little bit of of, of content behind it. Whereas you have much more comprehensive data, and we talk a lot these days about data-driven organizations, right, and the impact of data for 
uh, better decision making. But have you found that that's also been a a, a real uh, edge for you as as a services business to have that kind of comprehensive data in house? Absolutely, and and you know we we not only have it in in house. An interesting model is that. Like you say, it's original, you know, research with original data that has to do with benchmarking IT organizations, and we make that data available on a subscription basis to other consulting firms. So, um, and I'm pretty sure that in some deals where we've gone in to bid on on projects, uh, there's a good chance that um, the larger firms that are bidding against us are actually using our data. So uh, <laughs> we have kind of like an open that. model that, you know, we don't hold that back, you know, for competitive reasons. Uh, you know, part of our business model is to sell that information to other consulting firms. So uh, it's it's been interesting that way. So even when you lose, you win in a sense sometimes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, we should wrap this part, but just real quick, uh, any any IT spending prognosis for 2015 from your data yet? Are you getting any clues? Yeah, well, we just came out. I think uh, yesterday we published our 2015 outlook. We do our major survey in the spring, but in the fall, uh, late fall, we do an update. Uh, and it came back, I think the number was 3 or 3.5% 3 increase at the median for IT operational spending. And that's been a pretty, that's, you know, it's, it's a modest number. It's not as strong as it was in the mid-2000s. Um, but it's a healthy increase, and it's mostly on the operational spending side, not capital spending. So okay. um, we think that some of that has to do with the shift to cloud computing. Uh, there's more CapEx to OpEx, but on the OpEx side, uh, we are seeing a modest increase, and thus the hiring uh, metrics look, uh, look good. I wouldn't say they're robust, but they're strong and consistent. So uh, I think there's a, a, a you know a brighter outlook for 2015 than we saw you know a couple years ago. So we're happy about that. And uh, just, just for clarity, just for clarity, your audio faded out just a tad there. You, just for that one part, you you were saying that the the hiring numbers aren't robust, but they're consistent. That was the yeah. point there. Yeah, they're, oh, okay. good. The, the, they're, okay. they're It's a broad-based hiring. Um, okay. You know, I think it's you know 55 to 60 percent of IT organizations will be hiring uh, next okay. year as opposed to cutting staff. So it's looking good. Okay. Well, it's not going to be easy street, sounds like it, but it sounds like at least a promising sign. Much, so it's much better. Yeah. It's much better. Right. yet. All right. Well, let's shift gears now. Take a pause and wrap this video. And uh, now I'm rejoined once again by. Frank Scavo of Strativa and Computer Economics. And this, this segment for this video, we're going to talk about um, independent consulting or the value of independence on enterprise projects, which is a kind of a stump topic for me, Frank. It's one of the, you know, you say it's like your hill to die on or whatever. This might be like my, my hill to die on in this, in this industry. I believe in it so strongly. But um, why don't we talk just briefly about your firm and how you view independence because even the term independence is a little bit loaded and kind of hard to define sometimes. Well, you know, I mean, you know, we have the 4th of July. It's a very American value of independence, right? So, um, you know, it, it's a very positive word generally. I think people like that. But, but uh, you know, independence is a strong value of my consulting firm, our consulting firm, Strativa. It's even in our tagline. So our tagline is independent advice for business and technology decisions. And, you know, that came out when we founded Strativa in 2000. Um, my partner and I had come out of a, a local systems integrator firm where we had established a management consulting business to advise buyers on strategic IT decisions. But back in the home office, you know, 
we had people down the hall that were selling some of the same solutions that we were, uh, you know, advising buyers on. So, oh boy. You know, we, we felt we, you know, we felt we were, you know, independent and could objectively, um, you know, evaluate those systems. But I'll tell you what the funny part was. You know, it wasn't that we favored those systems. It was that when you know when you're in a software selection deal and one one vendor is not, you know, is behaving badly or not, you know, holding up, you know, not doing what they're supposed to do, and you have to lean on them. The problem that I had was I couldn't go back to the office and lean on them because they were my coworkers. So, right. you know, after, you know, but doing this for about 18 months, we said, this is just not going to work. So when we started Strativa, we said, okay, this is going to be a purely independent consulting firm in that we do not have tech vendor relationships. We don't receive referral fees. We don't receive commissions. We don't have a bench of implementation consultants that we would like to keep busy. We are strictly selling advice. And, uh, you know, I liken it to, um, you know, financial advisors, right? So um, if your insurance agent offers to be your financial advisor, you know, right. for free, you know, he's got to be making his money for somewhere, right? So if he's not making it in yeah. selling financial advisory services, he's making it selling insurance products, you can be pretty sure that your financial plan is going to include a lot of insurance, Yeah. right? So, you know, sometimes free is not free. So we said when, yeah. we, when we're going to do this, we're going to do it strictly on an independent basis, and that has worked out very, very well for us. Yeah, and... We could spend a lot of time discussing exactly what defines an independent firm um, because, in my views, it's really more a matter of a continuum, if you will, a matter of degrees of independence rather than, like, perfect independence. I mean, let's face it, we're all, right. getting, fun we're all getting funded from somewhere, and, and, and I think you and I both believe in the importance of disclosure where right. when you publish and write and work with clients, you disclose where you're funded so they can make their own decisions. But right. I, I, I do think there is a distinction to be made um, between firms that come in without a stake necessarily in the rest of the project or the same type of financial stake that when you, your, your insurance firm analogy kind of holds true to a lot of classic systems integration business where the, right. goal isn't e the goal isn't even to win the project, the goal is to win the client forever, right? That's right. Um, and, and there's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with that, it's just that I have become particularly frustrated that customers haven't taken more advantage of bringing in independent advisory throughout their project life cycle so that maybe they still work with the same vendors but they do it in a more informed and realistic way if that makes any sense it totally makes it totally makes sense I, I, think, I think the other thing that I have seen in a couple instances recently is where customers are kind of in between whether they should move ahead with a system replacement or not and they're looking for independent advice that actually would include consideration of their existing system or their existing provider. And if a technology consulting firm's business is based around implementing new systems, there is a bias toward not staying with the legacy solution. So that's another right. place where independence, I mean, you've got to consider the client's current you know, environment or their current system as a vendor. And that you know need to do consideration. And in some cases in the past, we've gone through entire software selection projects that ended with the conclusion you should stay with your current vendor and do an upgrade. 
And that may right. not have been where the client started from, but, you know, through the due diligence, we find out that, you know, they're actually in better shape than they think they are. So there's another role of independence. So have you ever had to deliver feedback to the customer that wasn't necessarily what they wanted to hear or or manage vendor relationships that were kind of difficult where you knew you were really <laughs> earning your money as an independent? Well, you know, sometimes we play a little bit of, uh, you know, therapist in some of this as well. And I'm thinking to a local uh, plastics manufacturer we did uh, some selection for in the past. It's exactly what I'm talking about here. They, it turns out their current system was probably the right system to stay with. But they had gotten themselves into such a bad relationship with this vendor that they needed kind of a, you know, kind of a detente. <laughs> they needed someone to help reconcile and smooth over the relationship. So we had to come in and talk to the vendor and, you know, kind of, you know, convince them that they should come back and, and re-engage and, and talk to the client and, you know, kind of settle them down and, and kind of repair the relationship. So, um, yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, we get into all kinds of situations like that. You, you and I have talked about how you often identify yourself as a buyer advocate or an advocate for the customer's interests. And have you found yourself in situations where you're helping them to navigate things like pricing and, and navigate the marketing claims of, of vendors and sort of and playing that role sort of as an independent where you're trying to be dispassionate, but you're trying to educate them as to the nuances of different vendors and how they work? And, well, that is one of the values that we bring because we deal with these vendors on a repeated basis. I think that one of the one of the things that buyers don't realize when they go into a negotiation with a vendor that the vendor does that every day of the week, every week of the year, year after year. Right. The buyer only negotiates a major software contract once, you know, potentially once every few years if it's a smaller a client in in dealing with a certain vendor they may have never dealt with before. So um, they need a little more horse, but the buyer needs a little more advocacy or horsepower on their side to kind of navigate the process and know where the kind of the tricks and the traps are. So um, it's an important role that I think is, uh, is, is very much needed. I was having an argument with uh, Eric uh, Kimberling of Panorama Consulting about this because he recently posted a, uh, a blog. It was actually about the ERP outlook, but I, I look at independent advisory much beyond ERP, well beyond ERP, but his point was that there's a much greater acceptance of independent advisory now than there has been in the past, and I, I tended to view his position as, as wishful thinking. I still view customers as being more inclined towards trusting one particular voice and, and, and also avoiding like the the challenges of navigating when you have more than one relationship suddenly you're navigating a lot of politics around different points of view what's your take are, are you seeing an increased level of embrace of the independent advisor type of role or not well I, you know I, I agree with Eric on, on 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 one point and that is that I used to have to back in the late 90s early part of the 2000s used to have to explain a lot more why independence was important in advising customers on the front end I don't find that as much anymore. I find custom, you know, prospects reach out with that in mind. We want somebody who doesn't, you know, partner with vendors, and we want to be sure you're not selling or representing software. You know, so they come with to us with that. You know, mm -hmm. on the other hand, I would say um, when you move into implementation, part of our role is actually to introduce the two parties to one another and help establish that relationship with the vendor or the reseller or the, you know, systems integrator. Because they're the ones that are going to be, you know, working with them to make that system 
effective within within the organization so it's not like we're competing for that business we're actually encouraging that relationship right so at that point I mean if you're doing if you're in the middle of an Oracle e-business system implementation you want a partner that's worked with that system that knows it inside out and is going to be with you for the long run guess what that's not Strativa because we don't have a bank of those consultants you know on hand here so we're going to help introduce you to who we think is the best partner to help you, um, you know, be successful. That's so. Right. At, at some point, you want independence. At another point, you don't really want independence. You want somebody that knows that solution. The other area I think customers need to be aware of is that, uh, you know, cloud vendors have come onto the scene with a lot of positive press and 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 perhaps some well earned um, praise for delivering a. Uh, a new value proposition to the client around, particularly around internal IT management resources and such. But at the same time, the same kind of customer advocacy principles apply to any type of software, right? So despite increased cloud adoption, that doesn't mean the customers don't need to be vigilant about everything from pricing to contracts. And we've had the we've had the same issues with cloud vendors that we've had with the traditional on-premise vendors. Um, at, at, at some, you know, the technology may change, the architecture may change, but the business relationship is fundamentally the same. So, you know, we've negotiated contract issues, relationship issues, services issues where the vendor is not holding up their end of the deal. Uh, you know, I don't see any difference between the traditional vendors or the cloud, even the pure cloud vendors in that respect. They're, sometimes they do an outstanding job. Sometimes they need a little bit of help to do better. So, so as a, as an advisor, they're placing a lot of a customers placing a lot of trust in you, right, to navigate that process. Is does it take a while to build that relationship up, or it, it does? You know, I think through the process. Um, you know, we're with uh, we're doing one uh, project uh, now. We just got off the phone with a series of vendor introductions uh, this week, and. Um, you know, they they trust us to have their best interests in mind. And that's really, I think, what gives, you know, us the greatest satisfaction is knowing that, you know, we're going to do the right thing by the client. You know, and the vendors are the same way. I mean, the, a, a good vendor that, that gets into a deal, you know, they want the customer to be successful. That's what's going to lead to additional business. So, you know, sure. with the best projects, you know, all the interests line up together. Our interest, the vendor's interest, and the client's interest. We all want to make this project successful because that's going to win all of us, you know, new business going forward. I think that's a, a good good stopping point for that. Well, well put. Uh, you you weren't able to settle completely my my bet with Eric because you kind of took took a nuanced take on that, but that's that's fair. So in, independents are growing in stature, growing in stature on projects, but some of the same challenges. That's right. Independence is important, but certainly not everything. All right. We'll leave it that way for, for now. Thanks for joining us tonight, Frank. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Good night. Good night.